I think it's critical that what is the power of God unto salvation? The gospel mm. of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then, then that's what we better be preaching. And that's what I care that we're preaching. And that's what we at this particular institution are trying to do better and better to help men uh, graduate and be called by churches to preach the gospel to those who are saved and to those who are lost. Welcome back to another episode of Mid-America Reformed Seminary's Podcast Roundtable. You're listening to Episode 9, the second installment in our series on preaching. We spoke last time about the importance of preaching, covering a range of topics there, but we thought it would be useful to dig down a little deeper into specifically what is entailed in preaching exegetical sermons or biblical sermons. Of course, as we know, preachers want to preach the Bible. They're not interested in preaching the phone book or preaching a new novel or anything like that. So uh, they're preaching scripture. But how do preachers go about doing that? Uh, What do people need to hear from preachers? How do they prepare? How do our professors prepare men here at uh, Mid-America Reform Seminary to be exegetical and biblical preachers? Well, Reverends Andrew Compton, Mark Vanderhart, and Drs. Mark Beach and Alan Strange join together once more to answer these questions. I think... One, one thing that I learned when I was in seminary, something that I didn't quite buy in agreement, but uh, was the point was made in class that every text has one and only one theme. I thought, oh, that's a little too simplistic. Hmm. But uh, over the years, with much trial and error, I became convinced that that uh, point made in class was actually true. Now, therefore, you have to first determine what is a unified passage. So here you have to study the literature of the text to know where a transition is occurring and where uh, the next transition is. And um, that's with some texts more easily done with others in other places. Uh, Men of sound mind and good intention may differ on exactly where the boundaries of a passage is. But once you've determined what the boundaries of that passage is, then as thorough a study, as thorough an exegesis as is possible, must be done so that you know what the words mean, what they mean in context, what all kinds of sociological or historical or cultural background may be at play, either directly or indirectly. But then the goal before you get to the sermon writing is, and what is the point of this passage? And how can I state that one point in a clear, convicting, maybe even colorful sentence, a Hmm. statement? Not just a theme, the grace of God. Hmm. That's an idea, that's a theme, but that uh, that doesn't assert anything. It doesn't say anything. What is being said and affirmed and revealed in this particular passage. I think all sermonizing must at least start there. Exegesis is indispensable. I mean, that may sound uh, you know, completely obvious, but, but 
preachers shouldn't just be getting up and, and riffing off of their English Bible translation in front of them, you know, improvising and 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 saying what what suddenly comes to their what comes to their Are their you mind, implying that a knowledge of Greek and Hebrew and even Aramaic would be valuable. Hmm, that seems very compelling. That seems very compelling. Of course, the guy's talking right now, radio friend. <laughs> love biblical languages. You're rather expert at Hebrew and the like. Not that I'm disparaging the languages in the least, <laughs> but uh, actually to endorse what they're saying, we might start with the English Bible and pay very careful attention to sentence structure, transitional words, words that are repeated, and uh, even make a grammatical outline so we see what's a big heavy branch, what are little twigs off the branch, what are little leaves, so we we're not majoring in a minor in a given biblical text, but mm -hmm. ascertaining the the general thematic focus of a a scripture unit is rather essential, so that you're not preaching peripheries and you know making mohills and making them mountains or taking mountains and knocking them down to little mohills or bumps. Yeah, that's I mean this is all fundamental stuff, and. But getting to preaching, not an exegesis course. Uh, what is critical is that while you're doing the work of formulating a propositional thematic statement, you're also keeping in mind its applicatory function. In other words, you're, you're thinking about this text as it connects and administers and addresses a given audience at a given time. So perhaps even in your theme, there can be what you might call an applicatory element to mm -hmm. it, or something's being anticipated that way. In other words, you can have an exegetical theme, but then you can also have a homiletical theme that could be distinct somewhat from that because of that next step, if you will. It does help yeah. to show that the preaching is not just simply exegesis out loud you right. know, and 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 for that matter um it's it's not uh it, it's not just the bible interpreted in a vacuum in preaching now this is that word that's that's been studied but how it relates to this new testament church and and even a step further is how it relates to this congregation that i know that i love as a pastor i've i, I know their strengths and weaknesses so that that comes to bear too then in formulating that theme. Yes, I mean, so this is where everything comes together in preaching. Your your basic theological confessional understanding, your comprehensive understanding of the history of redemption, what is the basic content of Christian doctrine. That doesn't go away, but that's helping inform any sermon you preach and any text you exegete. Likewise, Every text has its own biblical book. It has a context. It has its themes and emphasis fitting within the canon of Scripture. And then you have wider themes of promise and fulfillment, Old Testament, New Testament. I mean, this is huge. But getting down to the nitty-gritty, then you also need to focus upon the message from a given text to its original audience, you have to focus on 
what is the text doing, not just what is the text saying. I've heard too many sermons, and I think we all have, the text is filled with joy and celebration, and then the sermon is scolding us that we're not more. filled with joy and celebration. Joy. You, you know, the text, that's not what Paul was doing in this text. He wasn't scolding them with joy and celebration. He was celebrating. He mm -hmm. was joyful. He was urging us to be the same. Mm -hmm. So it's usually helpful that we try to do what the text is doing. I mean, there can be exceptions, but you want to usually be in that trajectory and orbit, even if you do have to scold your congregation, be joyful first and then maybe do some scolding and get back to the joy. Another really important thing in preaching exegetically faithful expository sermons, and the reason we were talking about this thematic thing is that we don't simply open our Bibles in verse by verse and phrase by phrase our way through it. Mm -hmm. I, I do revert to Southern accent because all the Southern accent, because all the preaching I ever heard that was verse by verse, phrase by phrase, uh, was in that idiom. See, and I uh, hear it in a California surf culture accent from, from for my sure. living in the Calvary Chapel uh, <laughs> region. So, Well, I'm not even Calvin <laughs> did that somewhat. I'm not saying it's never been done, but... It's a little bit like like having some bandages, some tape, some iodine, and it's all sort of floating there, but it's not really one wrapping. A thematic statement, a textual thematic sermon, takes the iodine and the wrapping and the tape and puts them on the wound, so to speak, as one unit, and that's what we're trying to do with preaching. But what, one last little thing, and this is my little long tirade here, but <laughs> one last little thing we try to teach here is that we watch out for what I call, and others have called, subtext. Hmm. And I've done too many of these sermons myself. What's bugging me? What's going on in this church? Hmm. They need to hear this. And so either you go hunt for a text to, you know, Mm. address a problem which okay but are you now preaching that text or is your subtext which is floating underneath the surface the real text and this can come out in your attitudes your tone uh, you can exhibit frustration bitterness uh, anger you can be aiming sermons you might look in one direction while you aim hmm. <laughs> your little target somewhere else and congregations have a way of sensing something's a little not kosher here something's hmm. not really straight and um so we have to be this gets back to you're a person engaged in faith, the struggle of faith, and the text is engaging you, and you want to administer it, then minister the text, hmm. not your subtext. That almost makes the subtext kind of the, you know, uh, earlier Mark Vanderhart talked about the, the textual unit, the preaching unit, that, it, that almost suddenly makes that subtext the, the complete unit of thought. And our goal is to convey God's word to them, Helping them know this word, which comes in its in its sense units and its and it and it has an organization and a structure and and, and even that that stating of a theme 
is so valuable so that people don't get lost. Preaching is not just, preaching from the Bible is not just getting up and saying pious sounding words about Jesus and about our faith after we've read a passage of scripture, but it's actually preaching that passage of scripture into this audience so that how, how often some, some people will get out of sermons and think, oh, that was, that was such a powerful sermon. There was such conviction and such unction and such zeal. Well, what was it about? Uh, uh, Christian truth. <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it, was, it, was, it was about Psalms. <laughs> they don't really have a sense of what that was about. What just unfolded here? You know, well, they say in writing. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Yes, we've all heard sermons and maybe we've all preached them in which we conveyed good Christian biblical truth. It just didn't happen to be what this text was about. Yeah, right That's doctrine, all. wrong text. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that has to do with what, what you said in the very, what Dr. Beach said in the very beginning about, put. I'll put it this way, summarize what he said this way, let the text always set the plate, which is to say not just as to the content, let's say Paul is rejoicing. Mm -hmm. Well, then our setting of the plate shouldn't be that we're going to couch Paul's rejoicing in scolding us that we don't properly rejoice. Now, that's not to say we can't, and including ourselves, say, ah, we fail to rejoice as we ought to rejoice. This is why we need a Savior. This is why we need Jesus. And we're always going to say that. But we really we really don't want ever in any way, and, and I say this and I recognize I've done it before. I've, I've blown it. I've failed in this. But we don't want to make a wax nose out of the Scripture. No. We really want the Scripture to be our master. We're under it. We're not over it. The Scripture isn't something for the preacher to manipulate. The Scripture yeah. is something uh, to bring to God's people. And as I like to say too, because we sometimes talk about um, you'll hear people say, we need to, to make this relative. You hear that in common evangelical circles. Well, I'd rather say we need to show its relevance. Again, making it relevant makes me the master of a text in a way. I, I'm not making it relevant. It is relevant. God's word is supremely relevant. And I want to show its relevance. I want to make that clear. But that's the real challenge. It really is a challenge to... Let the text continue to be the one setting the plight. That's true. I heard of a pastor one time who uh, on a Saturday evening called up a colleague in the ministry and he said, you know, I've got this great sermon. I just need a good text for it. Uh, in other words, that's... Where should I go to preach this? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I know what I want to say. I just need a text to hang my message that's uh hang my message on it here's where subtext became consciously the sermon and therefore i think one of the huge largest challenges in sermon writing is to be completely honest in which we say lord speak to me that i may mm -hmm. speak and therefore prayer begins the process prayer is done through the process and uh and in even in delivering you pray uh, lord you know more power more power uh, so that uh, you are prepared to humble yourself and get under the text and let it truly mm -hmm. speak what god 
is saying in it and that you resolve to to preach only what is there and not your own hobby horses or uh, the, the anger of this week. Mm-hmm. And to, when we don't do that, this is what, and we as preachers have to own this. This is what gives preaching a bad name. Right. This is why people mm-hmm. say, don't preach at me mm-hmm. or even preach to me. Because mm-hmm. what they mean mm-hmm. is, don't come at me with your preset agenda and seek to strong arm me, to twist my arm, to get me to conform to what you want. We have to make it very clear to people, this is God's living word to us all here and now. And we're we're to conform to it, but, but chiefly, it results in joy. I mean, there is even has been said if we're if there's a word of 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 challenge or rebuke. I mean, Jesus was a man of sorrows, but he was ultimately a man of joy. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. The ultimate story is joy. The ultimate message of the gospel is hope. And you know, I've heard sermons. And that wasn't what came across to me. And I have to say, I've preached them. Hmm. And hope wasn't necessarily the end of the thing. Well, it is the end of everything in the Bible. That's because (laughs) Christ is the the centrality and the focus. I I hear from time to time some disparagement about Christ-centered preaching. Or even, you know, pre, you know, Keller's made Tim Keller's made the point: preach Christ every time, preach the gospel every time, this kind of thing. And I've heard, I've even heard uh, it said that, well, it, I'll preach the gospel when there's a gospel word there, and I'll preach Christ if he happens to show up. And it's like, wait, 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 wait. What scripture are you reading? Uh, what did Jesus say to the disciples on the road to Emmaus? What was going on there again? That he opened their eyes, their hearts. That that the they were slow it, to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Right, beginning with Moses and all the prophets. It's not a matter of going through text and saying, "Oh, this isn't. This is about Jesus, not about. This is about the gospel, not about the gospel." This, yes, this cactus is really Jesus. Let's, you know, this next we'll have really... a Bible that's color coded with gospel, non gospel, yeah, or something. Yeah. We don't need the red words of Jesus. Instead, we can have the blue words of, you know, or or red, red, yellow, green, or something. And friends, if you send us a hundred dollars, we'll send you one of these bibles. No. <laughs> I think it's critical that what is the power of God unto salvation? The gospel mm. of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then, then that's what we better be preaching. And that's what I care that we're preaching. And that's what we at this particular institution are trying to do better and better to help men uh, graduate and be called by churches to preach the gospel to those who are saved and to those who are lost. This is the truth, isn't it? That in our in our biblical preaching, how you how you put it just a few minutes ago, I mean, what 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 exactly, what Bible are we preaching? And it's a Bible that centers on Christ, where, where, where Christ comes in the fullness of time. And in that sense, everything is leading to that moment in history. The whole of biblical history is anticipating it, continuing to progress, continuing to unfold until that, that supreme revelation uh, of, of God in Christ 
And the whole of the New Testament is looking back on that event. There, there's nothing in Scripture that is not being sucked into that event, as it were, of, of the incarnation and the death and resurrection and ascension of Christ, so that we, we it, it's impossible to preach any place in the Scripture without reference to Christ, without reference to the gospel, uh, because it's very inclusion in Scripture includes it into that story. Right, because we preach, a t we always talk about context, right, mm -hmm. with our students. We preach a text in a context, but the ultimate context is what you've just described. Yes. That's the ultimate context. And tying into what we are saying earlier, when I said hope, everything since the fall that we have contributed, that is to say, fallen humanity has contributed is darkness, is every kind of it. Jesus, the light of the world, there's the hope. And nobody, what's, what's, every time you enter the pulpit, you should enter with the supreme sense of, of, of a wonderful ambassador. You have something to speak that no one else in the world has to speak. No other institutions, only in the church. And we bring hope. Mm -hmm. You think even of the, the healing arts as they are, and we, 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 deal with and we work with sometimes we tell our people that these problems warrant this kind of medical treatment but a lot of medical treatment you think a lot of psychiatric treatment they will say very explicitly we're helping you we can only help you to be better within the context of who you are you we can't cure you we can't really bring you hope now we understand in the christian faith we're not naive particularly as reformed people that we may struggle long with, we may struggle with problems our whole lives. We may struggle with besetting sins. But the point is, is we do at the end of the day, we bring a message of hope. And we, we gospel can't lose it. It's a gospel message. It's Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm chief. That's what Paul says. I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're the chief of sinners, where are you going to get anything? Jesus came to save even the chief of sinners. Yeah. And that's inclusive, that includes us all. What I think is so important that we must remember in terms of Christ-centered preaching and of the whole Bible uh, is that even in the Confessions, Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 6, building upon the earlier Lord's Days in which it sort of develops a nice logical argument, what kind of mediator do we need? And yet, well, he has to be true God, he has to be true man. And, uh, and then it finally asks the question, well, who is that? Hmm. The Lord Jesus Christ is the answer. But then it says, now, where do you know that? How do you know that? And, you, and you, it doesn't say, well, go to Luke 2. <laughs> uh, it says, from the Holy Gospel. That's good news. Which God himself first revealed in paradise. Proof text, Genesis 3.15, hmm. the first gospel. Afterwards published... By the gospel writers? No. By the holy patriarchs and prophets. Now we're inclusive of the entire mm -hmm. Old Testament, foreshadowed by sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law, yeah. in which you therefore <laughs> preach Christ, some dimension of his finished work, from Leviticus 2 or Leviticus 10 or something like that, and lastly fulfilled by his only begotten Son. Yeah. That is centuries old. That wasn't just discovered uh, you know, mm -hmm. in recent decades. That's uh, yeah. the heart of it. Before there was redemptive historical preaching, that nomenclature, 
the, the reformers already had an instinct. I mean, is going back to Calvin's relationship between the Testaments. Hmm. We already have indicators that we're reading the old in light of the new, that there's a historical covenantal unfolding of revelation, and there's a, there's a gospel that runs down the spine, I'll put it that strongly, of the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. So you don't have some sort of Marcion Old Testament of a mean law god, and then we finally get to a nice son of God mm. god with some good news, finally. <laughs> um, no, there's good news that runs and tracks through the whole Testament because it's a covenant of grace that tracks through. And so redemptive historical mm -hmm. preaching is being sensitive to where we are in that timeline, what's gone before, what's coming after, how things reach fulfillment. Mm -hmm. Which means we preach Christ through redemptive history rather than, you know, a, a moralistic rocket launch yeah. to application. Mm -hmm. you know, Job struggles, I struggle, and let's preach about struggles. Well, but Job also confesses the Lord as his redeemer. And yes, Job's, Job struggles and we struggle, but we're Christians and we find the one who's our help and hope, the one who bids us is burdened and heavy laden to come to him. So even if you're preaching Job, there's a Christ gospel message in the midst of his struggles and doubts and trials. That's why here at Mid-America, we are biblical theologians at the same time that we're exegetes and at the same time that we're preachers, because we, we, we are we're exegeting and we're reading this scripture theologically, seeing that unfolding, mm -hmm. seeing that organic connection, because we, it, that that allegorical approach that was so popular, uh, well in the early church, but in some parts of the world still seems to be quite popular, it seems to be frustrated with the way in which God tells His story, the way in which He reveals His plan, that that the, the particular twists and turns of the plot line as it goes as, as Israel goes into Egypt. What's going on here? Oh, they come out of Egypt. End of the story. Oh wait, it keeps going. Oh, now they go to Babylon. Yeah, there's there's all this drama that is that is shot through this scripture, mm -hmm. uh, driving us um, to Christ. And and once we trace that, it's an incredibly compelling message. One recovered though through this this thorough exegetical approach but ultimately that we can proclaim Christ and him crucified, and indeed Christ and him crucified and raised for us, for his people. Amen. Isn't that the focus of where all preaching should be driving those who hear it? Christ and him crucified and raised for his people. While you've heard from our professors on the importance and method of preaching, our third and final installment on this preaching series will cover a very interesting subject, catechetical preaching. What is it? How is it done? And should it be done? Find answers to that and more next time on Roundtable. Thank you for joining us.